I get a promotion from the hairdresser. I went to it's like, hey, it's Melbourne Cup special on curling and whatever. I'm like, <laughs> do they understand? I don't really even have hair. <laughs> it's not. T- they should oh. have like s- special messages for bold customers, like you know, s- special yeah. on a crew cut this week. Yeah, I'm in. James earns millions from internet marketing. Tim's got millions of questions. Welcome to Freedom Ocean. Now, jump on in. And welcome back to the cool, motivating waters of the ocean. The Freedom Ocean. A place where you, the business owner, or would-be business owner, will discover how to run a business that doesn't rely on you to show up each and every day. A business that just might make you a million bucks and give you a whole lot more freedom. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and that over there on the other hammock, just back from a bit of a surfing sesh, that's Jimmy James Shremko. Ahoy, Jimmy. G'day, Timbo. How are you? Mate, I am absolutely all the better for hearing your saltwater voice. <laughs> you know, the, the water's warming up a little bit over here. You're loving that? I am. It's it's that time of the year where you can get out of the three two wetsuit and just slip on a you know a one and a half mil top and just go with boardies. It's like the freedom of that is liberating. Discussion for another time. But why mm. wetsuits make you look like a seal is kind of beyond me. Probably could be sorted out at some point. Hey, now Jimmy, before we dive into today's topic, which is all about less for more ideas. I just think it's worth reminding people, <laughs> convincing them why they should believe what we have to say. <laughs> why should they believe you? What do you do? Well, I, I guess went through that transition from having the way that people go about life, which is uh, a job, mm-hmm. being paid by one person. Just on break even, the acronym. Uh, yeah, just over broke's another one. Yeah. And having a limit on my income, mm-hmm. which was a problem. and. You know, there are other limitations too, but I believe that if you really want to increase your wealth, generally, and whilst there might be some high-paid jobs and it's possible to, to mm-hmm. make good money, generally, you have your own business. Yeah. have my own business, and I've taken advantage of some of the, the changes that are going on in the world where uh, technology is sort of enabling us to do some of the things that would have been harder to do in the old days. Mm-hmm. They were still possible, and t- to some extent, my great-grandfather was doing very similar things to what I do, but with old technology, and it was much more difficult. And I've been able to create a business that is predominantly operating online, which means I don't have a physical office to go to. I don't have to be somewhere. My people aren't mm-hmm. all in one place and my customers aren't all in one market. And it's mm. like, it opens up all these infinite possibilities. It's a very exciting time to be alive. Yeah, gotcha. Well, speaking of grandfathers and having a job, I, only yesterday, uh, if I can drop a name, I had a chat with Michael Gerber on my other podcast and uh, he was very clear, very harsh about the idea of having a job and why having a business or what he calls a company of a thousand is a much better idea. So uh, you and him are singing from the same songbook by the sounds of it, mate. And by the way, listeners, Jimmy is a very successful businesses. Um, as the as the opening of this show said, uh, Jimmy's got a, James has got a million bucks. Uh, Timbo's got a million questions. Uh, for me, 
I'm curious. I'm a curious small business owner myself. I'm a marketing guy through and through. I have another podcast called the Small Business Big Marketing Show that finds its way onto Virgin Airlines around Australia. And I'm always fascinated to find out what makes successful business owners tick and how we combined, you and me, the listeners, can can grow a better business that gives us more freedom so that we can have the boardies on more often. There you go, Jimmy. That'd be a good start. And you can find James by, I call him Jimmy, he's James Shramko, but you know, I lovingly call you. It's all, all of, all my sailing friends uh, call me Jimmy. Sailing? Yeah, I used to race a lot, you know, from when I was a kid and I'm actually. What about, if, if you got polo friends and. Uh... No, no polo <laughs> friends. The sailing was all consuming from before I was 10 right through to in my early 20s. I was sailing most of the time except for a few years off around the end of this school senior school where i windsurfed every day i'd love to see you at the polo gym <laughs> just with a boat a boater and one of those strange looking blazers i can ride a horse but i don't know about trying to hit little balls <laughs> with with the uh the, the stick while riding horse that looks pretty tough and it seems like a logistically difficult sport lizzie's correct correct it looks awkward now, uh, let's get stuck into today's topic, which came about, Jimmy, when you were telling me about some friends who run a fitness studio that's not going as well as they'd hoped, a fitness studio in Australia. So in order to cut expenses, put a bit of dough in the bank, they have decided to move to a third world country for a year or so. Now, you think, that sounds pretty good to me, but you think it's a flawed idea, right? Well, it, do, it doesn't matter what I think, but it matters... Um is important to them, so I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily say that I think it's a flawed idea. I, the thing that struck me is that it's an interesting approach. You think there's a better way? Well, again, better depending on whose viewpoint. <laughs> like you, you got to be careful as uh, you know when you have a, opinions and stuff that we're not just overlaying our own values onto someone. Most you know, cool. other people have their own reasons and context and stuff. But when I first found out about this. I just thought, well, that's probably a different approach than what I would take because of my own needs and scenario. Like one of the philosophies that I've had is that if you can make it living in Sydney, then you can make it anywhere. And I once was a guest speaker for a conference called DCBKK, but it was a lot of entrepreneurs who are living overseas in Asia, especially Americans. And their expats living in Asia to have a lowered cost of living. So I've actually thought about this in the past. And my whole point to them was, mm. you know, just be very careful that you don't reset your whole parameters. What I found a common theme amongst some of some of that community is they had dropped their cost of living down to very, very low outgoings, but they had massive mindset issues around charging Western retail rates for things because they got recalibrated. Mm -hmm. So I just be careful about recalibrating. Let's say you're paying for a mortgage or rent in Sydney. You know, I've done both of those things. It's not cheap. And then, you know, even food, <laughs> coffee, et cetera. Not cheap, getting more expensive by the day. Like your basic cost of living is apparently we're the second most expensive place to live other than Hong Kong. But we're often up there with London or Paris or New yeah. York. Um, so you get calibrated to that and – and then you adjust, just like you're saying, actually jokingly about a job that people tend to spend exactly the amount that they make or even a little more. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, that things normalize 
I also experienced this phenomenon when I was working at Mercedes-Benz. It didn't matter what car I was driving for more than a few days, I would normalize to that car. Mm-hmm. So if I was normally driving Mercedes-Benz or BMWs and we got, I'd take my family on a holiday, sometimes the boss would stick me in some trade-in that we got and I'd just drive that because they'd needed something that wasn't required at the dealership. So they'd give me a trade-in like a four-wheel drive Land Cruiser. Once I had this old Ford Falcon trade-in, I had an MX-5 for a while. These were things like the first time you drive it, it's kind of weird. And the second time it sort of normalizes it. Then after a few days, it's like that's just the standard. You get used to anything. So my concern would be if you're going to, if you're going to approach the problem by reducing costs, I mean, there's one major flaw with, with that one, and we'll come back to that. But the other thing is my concern would be you might normalize to a lower cost of living and never, ever be able to come back. That's like a one-way street. Mm-hmm. But, but this, let's talk about why costs is, is one area that people focus on a lot. There's two areas that people focus on most, and one of them is cost. And the problem with focusing on costs is that you can only cut your costs by 100%. Mm-hmm. That's it. You, you could eliminate all your costs by 100%, and that is the limit. So let's just take an example here. Let's say you have a business and you're making $100,000 a year. If you eliminate a hundred percent of your costs, what is the maximum you could make now? Hundred grand. That's right. And the other thing that people focus on then is traffic. They're always talking about getting more traffic. I need more customers. I need more customers. And sure, you could get twice as many customers. Let's say a hundred thousand dollars comes from your current customer base. If you doubled your customers, what might you end up making then? Sorry, you tell me. Well, you'd probably make two hundred grand. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, twice as many customers. Just, just this is just simple. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not making it too complicated. This case study, so that's one way to approach it. Just get more customers, and you could double. So even if your whole, if your costs were, say, fifty thousand dollars a year, and you're earning a hundred thousand, you go from a fifty thousand dollar profit up to probably a hundred and something thousand dollar profit mm-hmm. assuming that uh, most of your costs are just you know food rent transport and stuff and that those costs wouldn't go up too much if you have more customers mm-hmm. there will be some costs that go up but i just think it's usually easier to grow the business or to do the right business maneuvers than to sort of take the path of reducing costs or you know the drastic measures of of um, stepping backwards because it's hard to step back up from then. The, the natural lead-on question from that is, well, if I were going to step back, if I was going to come back from the lower cost of living place back to a high cost of living place, what would I have to do to fund that? And then whatever your answer to that is, that's what you should probably do now and just skip that whole step. Okay, to avoid the normalizing. So what we've learned so far is that you can only reduce your cost by 100%, uh, your running costs, and yep. that you run the risk of in moving to a place that is cheaper to live, you run the risk of normalizing your life so that that becomes the new stat- the new what you know, the new status quo and coming back at some point to in this case Australia, it's a Sydney is going to be a whole lot harder. Yeah, so we used uh, you'd hear this term like false economy, where the thing that you're trying to do ends up not actually getting you the result that you want, because you then you won't be able to go back. 
It's a one-way move. We, we're putting. I mean, you, you said earlier that we, you know, we got to be careful not to put our values and opinions on this. Uh, I think we have to overlay the filter of freedom on this discussion. Yeah, that's the next word that comes up on my little list is compromise. Right. To me, this is a huge compromise. I actually, I had another friend, separate example, who, for many many years, lived in all different countries. He was in the shipping industry, and the shipping industry is pretty small in Australia. It's pretty big in places like Korea, mm-hmm. the UK, other other. He worked in other Asian places as well, China, right? And so he basically spent most of his adult life working overseas, and he grew kids up, and they they lived in a few different countries, and then eventually the kids were living here in their house that they had left a decade ago. And going to school and university as boarders and, and you know, as they grew up and started being, becoming adults. So, the parents live overseas mm-hmm. because they're saving, you know, they're making more money and they're saving on tax and stuff. But they're not actually living in the same country uh, with their kids. So, I, for me, that seems like a compromise that, that I wouldn't want to go through. Mm. But it is a common approach. So, if there's a couple of examples that I've seen. There's three I've given you. I've given you the example of expat Americans living in Asia to save a few quid. The the shipping guy living in diff, you know Asian countries while the kids live here, and then the you know the other business where they're looking to go overseas and cut back on costs. And mind you, the the, the weird dynamic about that one is that they're not going together; they're taking turns. So it's like very very disruptive, and maybe. There's a lot of positives too, and that's why I think we have to be careful culturally. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I get we, we, we have to be careful, but I also think like just on the premise of how does one create more freedom in their business, we can rule out we – we, I think we're, it's valid to say there, there are some things they're doing wrong. Now, if they're chasing lifestyle, if they're chasing I, I, I want to live in a third world country just because the food's cheaper and it's going to be a little bit exotic, then cool. Happy days. Tick, tick, tick. Well, cultural experience, good, you know, kids get some different things. But-, but people are listening here in order to create a life of freedom. And that freedom should be able to be achieved no matter where they are. And that's really our point. What is uh, freedom? So it, it, some people cross the, the line of escape. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they're constantly on the lookout for how do I get out of the situation I'm in. <laughs> and that's one, you know, costs are an easy option. I actually went through this myself, uh, you know, when I was raising my family and we lived in Chatswood, which is an expensive suburb, there was often pressure to go out west, to go somewhere cheaper, get, you know, get a bigger place, more land, reduce our cost of living. But um, in my inner core values, I did not see myself as a, a rural dweller. I I like I like being closer to the water. You know, I, I just mentioned before, I've been sailing and living near the sea since I was a kid. Well, mate, when I first met you all those years ago, you said, don't go out to the barn, there are snakes. <laughs> so at a point in time, you were a bit of a rural dweller. Right. Never suited you. Yeah. I don't think I saw a pair of RMs inside. I think you always had the sneakers pretty handy or no shoes. Yeah. I don't know. We Flip-flops. Had, <laughs> we had pythons and and lizards and all that. But it, it didn't sit with my inner happiness i wasn't happy with that i needed to change and come back to the the sea Mm. Uh, and i'm a significantly happier person without compromise i live in one of the most beautiful places in the entire world and that the test for me is when i go somewhere else am i happy to come home 
And overwhelmingly, mm. when I come home, usually the, it's like an upgrade in living conditions from wherever I've been. Mm. You know, and, and nothing against places like Texas or whatever, but there's not even a contest. Correct. Between living somewhere like that or living somewhere like this, in my mind. Not too many big waves in Texas from memory. There are little ones in the wave pool. Little ones? Made. You've checked it out? They've got a wave pool now, a very a good <laughs> one, brand new. And by the way, that has significant ramifications for the surfing industry over time. When you have one of those in every inland American town, uh, it's going to be a very big sport. You watch this space. Mm. Uh, but anyway... I digress. The main thing is, at what point do we start justifying to ourselves these compromises, telling ourselves that, you know, this is, this is good, we want this, it's amazing, or are we just, are we just kidding ourselves and denying that, the, you know, are we blind to the things that we could be doing? So, there was, you know, there would be some things that I would do before I take that step. Maybe they're worth talking about. Yeah, well, I, I want to know what you would do. I mean, you know, again, be, you can be critical and say, okay, well, if it was me, if I had a fitness business that was underperforming, my first thought wouldn't be to move to a third world country to reduce costs. Uh, uh, and if I had a fitness business, they, those kind of businesses sound a little bit like a job, like they are self-reliant on the owner to show up every day. Yeah, that's that's the thing, and then and then you think, well, if I'm if they're not there, okay, what are they going to do? So on the premise that we want to create a business where you're not showing up, that remains local, that does create good income. Yeah, yeah. what would you do? And 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 we should just qualify that, you know, like people know I'm doing coaching as part of my business thing, and that that does require me to turn up, but at mm -hmm. the same time. I had have also built and sold businesses that did not rely on me to show up. In mm -hmm. particular, the SEO business listeners going back to our earlier episodes, we've heard all about that. And the website development business. Both of those businesses did not require me to show up. And I'm now building another business that does not require me to show up. So I just want to clearly put that bubble because someone might say, what are you talking about? You, have, mm -hmm. you show up to your forum every day. I do. That's by choice. So... In this case, again, it's like, what are they going to have to do to be able to go? They're going to have to train someone to take over. So, why wouldn't you just do that anyway? That's my first thought is, why don't you list down everything that you are doing and get someone else to do it? Mm -hmm. And invariably, the answer to this question when I ask that question is, just don't have time. Yeah. Don't have time. Don't have the energy. I know what I'm supposed to do. Just just can't get to it can i can i just add to that too because i hear that a lot well you have to be the you've got to be the advocate for our listeners whatever they're thinking that's that's really your role <laughs> correct team. you're, you're asking these questions on behalf of everyone correct so so training someone to take over yeah oh, sounds hard uh, haven't got the time where to start one thing that i've seen having interviewed 337 successful business owners on my other podcast, The Small Business Big Marketing Show, is that many of them have systemized and that first step of systemizing appears to be the first step in also creating a blueprint that's not only going to train someone to take over from you, but it's going to train others to take over and build franchises or licenses or whatever whatever business structure you want to follow well into the future. You're absolutely right. I, I imagine of all the successful people that you interviewed, plenty of them would have a team. Yeah. Plenty. Plenty. 
I could almost say all, and that doesn't mean... Unless they're an Olympic athlete or something, and they're still going to have a team. They're going to have a coach. Well, I have interviewed an, I've interviewed two Olympic athletes, funnily enough, Michael Klim and Stephen Bradbury, and uh, both business owners, both with teams. Right. So it's a common thing, and I was kind of even a little bit blind to this when I researched my own audience, and I found out what their biggest challenge is. One of the, the top four was team and scaling, and this is what we're talking about here. Uh, what, what was the, what was the challenge? Not having a team, or or having a team that was look. People are just not very good at, at hiring, mm. leading, training, systemizing, building performance in their team. Right. Like, you hear the same complaints, right? Tell me if any of these strike a chord with your, you know, with what you think our listeners are thinking. I'll give you a. I'll give you a ding. <laughs> you know, I don't know where to find someone. Ding. Uh, I get someone, but they don't know what to do. They can't think for themselves. Ding. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, ding, 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 they ding, keep ding, making ding, ding, ding. the same mistakes. Or they yeah, don't, yeah. Can, I, I can only, no one can do it better than me. Yeah, I'm the only person that can do this. Like, yeah, it's just, I was kind of blind to how much of a problem this is. But then when you think about it, it makes sense. Because most people, they go to school, they might work a job or two at a lowish, sort of lower rung level maybe make it to a management role, maybe not. Uh, maybe they're an expert or an author or a specialist and they're not really exposed to, to – some of them have never even worked in a, a company. A lot of the successful entrepreneurs never even had a job in a company. Mm-hmm. And so why would they be good at running a team? And and that's where you have to be just – you've got to nail things like systems. I've interviewed people like okay. Sam Carpenter. He's got a book called Work the System. You've got to create standard operating procedures. And the first person to do that for is yourself. Mm. And we've talked on this show about having routines, mm-hmm. about uh, checklists and frameworks. It's about getting into a routine of systematically doing the things that need to get done. And then over time, you list down all of the things, all the tasks that you're doing and you do that task transfer. You hand it from you to someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's easy at the beginning, but it gets really hard when you're trying to outsource the things that you're actually good at. For example, for you to outsource your podcast, Small Business Big Marketing, would be a really difficult transfer, wouldn't it? Uh, to the actual hosting and the creative yeah. production of it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it would be... Right. They'll, they'll be one of the hardest things for you to outsource. Yeah. I don't know whether I should. You know, like it's AI... Well, you definitely probably shouldn't, mm. but it would be possible if it was required. And so, you know, for some people, let's let's say you are consulting a marketing customer and you, th- you come up with a fantastic show premise for them. They really need to take advantage of the podcast medium and then they get to this bit well i just i want to do the show i think i'd be really good at it i just don't have the time or whatever there'd be so many options for them to hire a host or to use even customers recordings as a as part of the the show for them to just bounce back in a really leveraged way actually leverage mm-hmm. is a great word that that has to come up well let's get to step two or not step two but what's the, another thing you do jimmy so far you train someone to take over this fit this fitness business locally well and and i'd go so far as to say i would actually get paid to do that too what do you mean like well if you think about a fitness type business where there's often in, you know experts or like instructor types right uh, there's certification courses that people can do to be qualified to be able to 
to do the training. So, for example, if if this person's the expert and they have to show up to make to do the class, and then you want to find someone to do that, you could source from existing pools of trainers or experts, mm-hmm. or you could grow your own. Yeah, right. There's a pretty good chance from a school that they're going to have a customer base of people who are passionate about that topic. Mm-hmm. And from those passionate customers, there's a good chance that some of them believe in you and trust in you enough that they would like to learn from you uh-huh. and get accredited or certified in some way so that they could one day be the leader of the class. Gee, that's cheeky. So just to be clear there, you're suggesting that you could, as the owner of this fitness business, you could say, hey, people out there in the fitness industry who want to learn how to run a business, who's willing to give me X amount of dollars for me to train them in running my own business, at which point there'll be a job for you at the end. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it could even guarantee it. <laughs> like if you want to go down the path of risk reverse, you could say, hey, and, and here's the beautiful thing. You're tapping into an existing database. So the, the next thing is like, oh. I, lo- I love it. I love it when you say here's a beautiful thing because I know for you it's like <laughs> here it is. Here's the secret sauce, guys. It's so clever. It's so simple. Like your customers are right under your nose. They actually come in and pay you. They already pay you to learn what it is that you do. And some of them, a percentage, let's call it 10% of your passionate, mm-hmm. active customer base probably would like to take that to the next level. Gotcha. If the average, like I don't know whether it's, let's say, kickboxing studio or whatever, if someone's paying $500 a year in to learn kickboxing mm-hmm. and they keep showing up, you know, you'd have to think out of a class of 10 that one person might think that, that they could invest Five hundred dollars, or a thousand dollars, or five thousand dollars, to learn how to be a kickboxing instructor, and that they might do a certification course. They might actually pay you to teach them, and then you say you pass your test at the end of this course, and I'll let you loose on your own class. And Jimmy, can- uh, there's a few listeners who are getting a bit restless, saying that well. I'm going to I'm going to train this person albeit they may well pay me to do it so I'm not going to be out of pocket I'm going to train this person up to run my business and then they're going to leave and run and start their own They might do that they might do that Say la vie Well you know bit of French, bit of French there This is one of those things it's we're talking about the risk of uh, cannibalization mm-hmm. There's a great saying I'm not sure who said it but if if someone's going to eat your lunch it might as well be you Take that one. I've not heard it before. Uh, quote, unquote, James Shramko. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But but the point is, yeah, uh, it reminds me of that classic saying, you know, what if you train your staff up and they leave? What if you don't train them yeah. and they stay? <laughs> they stay. Yeah, yeah. Like, love that one. At least this way, you're already getting paid. And why not do a group of them? Why not get five students or 10 and leverage your class? And then, hey, you want to go for gold. Why don't you put out the little camcorder on a tripod and record it? Maybe you could do an online training class. And Mate, I'm, I am seeing a reality TV show in the making. This is all basic stuff in our industry, but it's unheard of in outside the industry, which is why someone would consider leaving the country instead of doing these simple steps. So that... Can we? Is there a next thing you do? I think we've well, we haven't exhausted, but I'm sure there are other things you do besides training someone to take over. In this case, they have two places, so I would basically I would 
benchmark between the two. I would compare mm-hmm. what can you learn between the two separate places that, that you could instantly boost the other one with. Because when you have two of something, invariably one's better than the other. Mm-hmm. So, there's usually quick wins there by balancing them out. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Totally. So, like you'd have a look at, hey, where do we get customers for this place? What's our conversion rate? Um, what's the retention of people who come to class? What does some of our staff in this place do versus the other one that's really good? And then as soon as you find something good, you you bring it into the other one and bring it up so you can level them up mm-hmm. like, like a catamaran. Two hulls pointing the same direction when a one's performing you then share share it with the other one so that's one thing you can also cross-pollinate the actual staff like try and get them to work in a different place they'll tell you all sorts of things really quickly because they'll notice the differences instantly that you might be blind to because you you're too close to it so that's one thing you could do so so far we've got you you get people to pay you mm-hmm. to learn how to do what you do so that you can then put them in to to take the classes that you can't. I'd be also looking at what's your actual capacity. Do you are you filling the available time of you know if you've got if you're paying a fixed cost of rent per week for a studio and you have um, x number of hours that you could sell that that studio time back to group classes. How many classes are you filling? And then I'd come up with cool topics for the classes, like differentiate. Maybe you could, ha- like, again, if you were at a kickboxing place, you might do a partic- particular style or, like, just an, an, an arms thing or just a legs thing or, uh, like, differentiate. Like, you know, like you've seen in, in gyms, they do spin cycle classes, they do step classes, they do blah, blah, blah. You're looking at your what you're suggesting is look at your current product offering, and surely you're leaving money on the table somewhere in there. You might be uh, offering things that people uh, don't want. You might not be offering things that people do want. You might be packaging things up in a way that aren't appealing. So apply a little bit of marketing now. Give, give things a simply give things a funky name. You know, create story behind them so people are more engaged. And you know, so that is that what you're saying? Absolutely. This is right up your alley, Timbo. It's marketing genius stuff. You <laughs> pull the story out of it. You, you mm. do your research with your customers. You'd, you'd pay attention to what other people are doing, particularly, and this is, this is something I really got from Jay Abraham, people are not in your industry. So if, you, if you're a kickboxing class, I'd be going and having a look at, what are people doing at boot camp fitness mm-hmm. classes? What are people doing in ballet yeah. classes? How are people doing dealing with their students in dance studios? Yeah. Yeah, because Yeah, it's a great idea. Look beyond it. Too often we look within our industry. Yeah, and we're looking at other kickboxing studios. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because well, sure, we'll get a couple of quick wins, but it'll very quickly neutralize the market. You go outside the market. That's actually one of the greatest things that I bring to the table in my high-level mastermind is I'm seeing 30 businesses at once and I'm cross-pollinating the best practice. If I see something like take off with one, I could share it with the other 29. Like it's a quick win for them. They're never going to see it any other other way. Mm. So Yeah, well, it's a classic example. I mean, I have business owners. Let's say you know, a, jeweler, a jeweler comes to me and says, hey, do you know any any marketing specialists that are really good with jewellery industry? And I'm like, well, maybe I do, but why don't you look, go, go and find some marketing you love from outside of your industry and see who did that, you know, and, and maybe employ them instead. Because I think, you know, once we get stuck in our industry, 
you, you, it's hard to differentiate yourself because you go, oh, they're doing that. I'm going to do that. And it becomes vanilla. Yeah. yeah. And it just balances that because everyone's looking at each other. It's like you post those really fantastic pictures when you're on your travels from wherever mm-hmm. you see interesting ideas and you put it on your Facebook and, it, you know, they're instructive yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah, we correct. Can learn the do's <laughs> and don'ts of marketing from some of the things that you share. And that's that's why travel broadens your, your mind and maybe that's one of maybe. the great reasons for these people to go. They might really re- reflect. But mm-hmm. let's just have a quick recap. We've talked about focusing on like – what are the activities that you're doing and what are the things that would be harder to give away and like really trying to tackle that? And that's get paid to train up people to take your spots and maximize the capacity, do product differentiation. And of course, the biggest, easiest win of all is just emailing your existing prospects slash customers mm-hmm. with an offer. And I would use uh, something like a Dean Jackson nine-word email which is a very simple thing. It, it reminds people of what they are actually interested in in the first place and just tune, tuning in with them to find out if they're still mm-hmm. interested in that and then having a conversation with them and leading them to the appropriate solution. And the, the main thing is it's called a reactivation. That is going back to people who, who've already put their hand up and said, oh, I'm really interested in kickboxing. I want to learn how to be a great kickboxer. Uh, you just go back to them and say, hey, Hey, Timbo, we're still mm-hmm. interested in kickboxing, you know, learning about kickboxing. Uh, we've, and then they say, yeah, yeah, I am, or no, I'm not, or whatever. But if they are, I say, uh, we're, we're getting together next uh, week in the studio. We're bringing in, uh, you know, Xing Chong Cho, the kickboxing world champion. Uh, we've got a video screening of, of Ching Chong Cho, a special video we got from Red Bull or whatever. Uh, we'll go through that. If you'd like to join us, you're certainly welcome. And then there, you make a special offer. Eh? You join for a year, 40% off, and you get a bonus X, Y, Z. You get a special mm-hmm. monogrammed towel or whatever. I don't know the industry, obviously, but there'll be things that the, the people in that industry are very excited about. You might get your own gloves or, or your own yoga mat if you're in a yoga studio or whatever. There'll be things that you could use as bonuses that don't cost you very much that would be a significant reminder slash anchor uh, slash value add that that make it a compelling deal. You tap into that sort of Groupon yeah, gotcha. effect. If it's a good deal, yep. I need it. Yep. Well, there's plenty they could do, Jimmy, I think, and uh, we probably haven't covered it all, but it's a great start, you know. Uh, team, training someone to take over, look at your capacity, look at your marketing, there's so much they can do from a, just from a marketing point of view. How many businesses, you know, really undervalue the power of marketing? That would be a topic for another episode. Probably, probably very, very few are doing, you know, email capture mm. or SMS, SMS mm. properly. Lots of hairdressing salons, etc. They they get your phone number. Don't do anything with it. But they send out stupid mm. promotions. Like I, I get a promotion from the hairdresser. I went to it's like, hey, it's Melbourne Cup special on curling and whatever. I'm like, <laughs> do they understand? I don't really even have hair. It's not. T- <laughs> they should have like special messages for bold customers, like you know. Special yeah. on a crew cut this week. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> it's got should be segmented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd be starting to segment your customer base, and then that you know the real gold for a business like this is to look at how can I increase the lifetime customer value, and the the answer to that question is going to come usually in the form of encouraging um, repeat 
visits, like getting them back into the place and consuming and enjoying it and, and helping them get success, showing them that they're succeeding. Something simple like if you were a kickboxing studio and you did a before video and someone joins as part of the process and you're just like, you, you have a custom app for your own studio. It's a simple idea where you when they join, you just take a little video of them doing their best move and then um, a month later, you sort of take another video and you just show them their update in a little pictorial timeline or something. That would be gamifying it and it'll be, be um, orienting their, their goals with their actual results and achievement and I think they'll be a lifetime member. Love it. And they'd be more inclined to want to learn how to be an instructor and so forth. Hey, lifetime member, there you go. I mean, what, if, if, if this business is under the pump, instead of moving overseas to raise some, to reduce expenses, you know, the idea of maybe offering some some lifetime memberships, some getting, some pulling some money forward, getting people to sign up for 12 months instead of paying as they go and incentivizing that. They'll get some quick money in the bank, right? Well, I think in the industry, there's pretty heavy regulation about that because there's a Bit, there's a lot of people being stung by buying lifetime memberships and then the place goes right. broke. I would never join a gym or a membership uh, for anything more than annual. But even then, I actually pay monthly for my gym mm-hmm. just because I've seen it happen a dozen times before. But I think recurring subscriptions are the key for these sort of businesses, not selling like 10 packs. Yeah, correct. So that, that those things suck. Correct. Because people will buy them and they might take a year and a half to, to use up 10 tickets. Mm. Right? Instead, go with a monthly subscription or an annual subscription or a six-monthly mm-hmm. subscription. And that way, you've got time to show them a result. Even my, my local gym, for example, they give you a little swipe chip when you to, to get in and out of the place because like, there's no one there most of the time. And if they simply had a little scanner on each machine that I could just go bloop, and if they had their own app for that gym that charted m- which machines I use and how often, you know, like your phone does with with how many steps you take. Yep. They, if they synchronized yep. it into the Apple uh, device that lets you see your gym activity, just like people do for catching waves or doing their mountain bike rides or road things on Strava or whatever it's called, that sort of stuff is is how you would really build a strong uh, accountability. You'd, you'd, you'd keep your customers coming back with that sort of stuff. It's working with gamification and uh, the addiction that people have to, to track and, and chart their progress. You can do that. You can get an app for a couple of thousand dollars now. We even uh, we have a few for my own business. I've been doing this with several of my clients. That's the quick win. And it's so easy to have your own app for your own business and – you can gamify for your customers or make it easier for your customers to deal with your business and keep them and then you're not scrounging for customers and you don't have to move overseas. Love it. There you go. There you go. Jimmy, loved it. Uh, listeners, that is another episode of Freedom Motion done and dusted. Uh, we hope you got something from it. If you did, or maybe even if you didn't, head over to freedomotion.com and let us know your thoughts in the show notes for this episode because we'd love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear from listeners, wouldn't we, Jimmy, uh, if they have a topic they'd like us to cover 
in an upcoming episode, and they can do that too by going to freedomotion.com and hitting us up via the contact form on the page. We respond to every email. We love to hear what you've got, what you want to talk about. This is your show. Yeah, we yeah hit- just to feed Tim the the questions he's there to ask on your behalf, and and I'll correct. I'm your representative, team. I'll keep answering uh, as long as I as long as I possibly can. <laughs> now, if you want more of us, you can find James over at superfastbusiness.com, where he has a forum. Uh, James's forum. Yeah, who would you describe the typical member of your forum, James? And then I'll do the same for mine because they are vastly different, aren't they? Yeah, most of mine have got something going on, particularly with an online focus and mostly business owners interested in getting some help from me. I coach people privately and personally, like pretty much pretty much every day. So that's been going particularly well. You do. And tell us about uh, Timbo. You can be found at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. What do you got cooking over there apart from Australia's best business podcast? Yeah, well, it's going all right, which can be now be found on Virgin Airlines, which I'm pretty happy about. And I also have a forum. My forum's full of uh, bricks and mortar business owners. So uh, I, I think that's where James and my my offer differs. Where you know I've got people in all sorts of industries, but very much you know above the line. They've all got an online presence, and they're all trying to improve it. But they're the, they're, they're my people. Uh, and I've just got a book there as well called The Boomerang Effect, which I launched about six months ago. So you can grab a, a personalized copy of that over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Jimmy, it's been a pleasure. This hammock's getting a little bit sort of uncomfortable. I'm getting bed sores. So uh, we might call it quits. We might call it quits. Uh, but it's been a pleasure, mate. And uh, I'll let you get back into the surf. See you next time. See you, Timbo. Thanks for diving into the Freedom Ocean with James Schramko and Tim Reed. You've just come that little bit closer to living the life you choose. Please keep in mind that the ideas, opinions, and information shared in the show are those of the hosts and do not reflect those of their past employers. And as far as future employers go, well, they're both pretty much unemployable. (laughs) 